Well, today we're going to continue our series through Mark. We're making our way through the Gospel of Mark. Today we're in chapter 4, where Jesus continues to teach in parables. Today he's teaching about the parable about a lamp, a bunch of seeds, and one very small seed. But these three parables address challenges that you and I face or will face as everyday disciple makers and everyday missionaries. The three I put up on the, on the slide for you, you can look at it and just, just consider how you've maybe been challenged by these things. Have you ever evangelized or witnessed to someone only to face rejection or see little to no response? So many of you, you've, you've tried to share the gospel with your loved ones, with your family members, with your adult parents, with siblings, with coworkers, and it is discouraging when there is no response or even the fear of rejection. Well, today, Jesus' parables speaks to you. Secondly, are you currently discipling someone, investing in someone, counseling someone, and and you're discouraged because you see so little growth, or you see growth that's so slow? And this is not just discipling others, but the third one, are you discouraged by your own spiritual growth? Maybe some of you, you're like, you know what, I've been struggling with this particular sin struggle. I love Jesus. I want to grow. I see some fruit, but on some days it's just bad. Some days it's just hard. Well, today, Jesus' parables speaks to you. So among any of these three, among these three, there should be one that speaks to you directly, but all three of these evangelism and witnessing, discipling and investing in people, and your own personal growth, these are all related to kingdom growth. Because kingdom growth is spiritual growth. And when you try to grow as an individual and as you try to grow God's kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit, there are different metrics to measure growth by. There are different standards that are not like the worldly standards. These are kingdom standards. So if you have God's word, we're going to see what these are today. Okay, Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4 in your Bibles. I have it on the slide for you, but it's a small print because there's several verses under the point. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along more closely. But Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 21. And what we see in verses 21 to 25, this first section is point number one, the reception of God's kingdom. How the kingdom of God is received. In other words, when the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom is proclaimed, how do people respond? When you witness and evangelize, how do people respond? How do people receive the gospel? Right? Well, what we see in the first three verses, 21, 22, and 23, is that God's kingdom will be revealed. It's meant to be revealed. It's like a light that shouldn't be hidden and will not be hidden, but only those with spiritual ears to hear will actually see and receive the message. Okay, let me read that to you. Look with me at verse 21 to 23. Let's read that. Let me read it to you. Jesus says, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Well, well, let me first connect Mark chapter 4 in the previous section. Notice verse 23. Anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus, throughout chapter 4, continues to use this illustration of hearing. And he's not talking about physical ears because most people had physical ears. The majority of the people were born with physical ears. And he's talking about the spiritual ability to perceive his parables. The ability to understand what he's teaching and saying. And the last time we were together, we, we saw how the, in the parable of the sower, our pastoral intern Kevin did a, did a marvelous job, a fantastic job just unfolding the text for us. And, and we saw how as the seed of the gospel goes out, the response to the gospel depends on different reception levels of the heart, the condition of your heart. Uh, there's 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 the seed that falls on ground of, of unbelieving hearts that that makes makes no traction. There's no depth, right, at all. And, and then there's the there's the crowded heart, right, where the the heart is too crowded by the worries of the world. So even though the seed gets in there, it gets distracted and it gets away. Uh, and, and I'm not going to re-preach it. You can find the sermon online. But there's all these levels and conditions of the heart, and based on the condition of the heart, people may see. Or may or and they may see but not really see. They may hear but not really hear. And it's it's funny how Jesus now goes from hearing. He combines that with this idea of seeing. Illustration of a lamp. He 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 uses here this parable of a lamp to continue the same teaching on the parable of the soils. He says some of you will hear the gospel, but you won't see it. That's weird. You hear and see because to hear. And to believe there's a different type of hearing. Jesus combines hearing with seeing because it's perceptive. And to perceive something is not just, oh, I heard you. Oh, I hear it. But, oh, I hear and, ah, I see. It's hearing that can see and perceive that Jesus is the Messiah. It's hearing that can not only understand the pure parables, but perceive their true meaning and receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah and Lord. So he says a lamp brought in to, is not to be put under a basket. This is kind of humorous almost. Because back then, the lamps weren't like these lights. Back then, it was a, a I don't want to step on this guitar, it was an oil lamp or a gas lamp. And what that means is that the baskets they had back then was a simple kitchen basket what happens when you put a basket over an oil lamp? You're going to start a fire. So not only would you not cover up the lamp, you wouldn't be foolish enough to just cause a fire. So nobody lights an oil lamp and covers it up with a basket. Nobody puts it under a bed. The Jewish beds were these flat beds where you would sleep on the ground. Uh, and I believe that what Mark might have had in mind were the Roman beds, which were elevated. In the same way, if you light a gas lamp, or oil lamp, why would you put it under a bed to hide it? You know, it's going to light yourself on fire, right? So what's the purpose of that? The whole idea of a lamp is to put it in an elevated place. The higher you put the lamp, the more it illuminates the room. Because the purpose of a lamp is illumination, revelation, to reveal what is there in the dark. And Jesus is saying that he himself is the light. And his gospel is the light. And the kingdom of God is the light. The kingdom of God is not designed to be hidden. It's made to be put forth and shown to everyone. Jesus Christ is not meant to be hidden. He comes to proclaim and reveal God. And then the message of Christ is meant to be revealed to the world. So there's this interesting 
parallel here between seeing, seeing, and hearing. Now, you notice in verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. That's talking about the purpose of God's kingdom. The purpose of God's kingdom is to come into light. So, what's the connection for me and you? If, if Jesus is the light of the world, and if the purpose of Jesus in his kingdom is to be revealed, then what does that mean for us who have the light? I think it's common sense. If the light of Christ lives in you, you can't hide it. It's not meant to be hidden. Now, you can try to hide it, but over time, you'll grow in Christ. And as you grow in Christ, you cannot contain it anymore. So the application for us is if Jesus is the light of the world, we ought to be his lights to the world, which means our witness cannot be hidden. We can't be secret Christians in a secret church, right? People need to be able to see the gospel made visible through our lives and through our communities and through our relationships. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives a similar teaching. And he turns from just simply he's the light to we are the light. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So how does Jesus let his light shine? Beloved, it's through me and you. It's through his disciples. Right? Jesus died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven. He gave us his Holy Spirit. And as we live as his disciple makers and, and, and everyday missionaries in this world, we are the ambassadors of his kingdom. And when people look at us, they ought to see light. So if you are trying to hide your witness, unless you're in a persecuted country where you need to be very careful, otherwise your witness totally gets removed, like meaning if you're a missionary in, in North Korea, got, you know, maybe, and, and you're, you need to keep the mission going, then yeah, hide your identity. But if when you're in the United States where it is legal to be a Christian, no one in here, no genuine believer should be hiding the light. That's the purpose. But here's the problem. Here's a situation that we need to deal with. Because Jesus teaches something that's seemingly contradicting, but it's not a contradiction. It simply requires us to submit and surrender ourselves to his sovereignty and divine mystery. Is that in one breath, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like a lamp that should not be hidden, meaning it will not be hidden. It's not meant to be secret. Everybody needs a secret. I mean, everybody needs to see it. It's not a secret. Then he says, but some of you won't be able to hear it. Some of you, only those with spiritual ears can hear it. And you're like, Jesus, you're saying two things. You're saying, you're saying everyone should see it, but then some people aren't going to see it. Everybody should hear it, but some people aren't going to hear it. See, the thing is, everybody will see the gospel being proclaimed, at least in America. At some point, they understand that there's Christianity and there's the gospel. Most people, when Billy Graham passed away, they knew who he was and they knew what he stood for. Most people in America will hear at some point some explanation of Christianity, but hearing just to hear versus hearing to receive is completely different. And so notice in verses 23, Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, once again, let him hear. 
right? What is this saying? Well, it's going to be further explained. Notice in verses 23 to 25, Jesus once again continues the theme of hearing, and he says, he said to them, pay attention. Again, it's not just hearing with the ears, but it's perceiving with spiritual eyes. Pay attention to what you hear. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other, but pay attention. And then with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. Look at verse 25. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now that's crazy. Later on, and I'll get to it in the last point, Jesus is going to talk about how he reveals the kingdom to his disciples. He has to actually explain and illuminate his message to people in order for it for them to understand it. Even though he preaches, they don't, they're not going to understand it. That's the divine mystery we'll get to. But here, Jesus uses this really funny, funny saying. It's a proverb. Okay, and in its Jewish context, the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. I looked it up, and it's almost literally the the pot that you use to cook, you will be cooked in it. <laughs> okay, and that's a funny saying. Maybe, I don't know if this is an Asian thing, so maybe if you're from Asia, and maybe in Chinese it means something, but but in in, in the Jewish culture, it meant something. It meant this. The pot that you use to cook, other people, they're going to cook you in it. Meaning, whatever measure or standard you use to judge other people, they're going to judge you with it. And so when you apply that to Jesus, it's if you judge Jesus as Lord and Savior, he will judge you as saved and received, right? But if you judge Jesus as a lunatic, a liar, or not the Lord, then he's going to judge you as, okay, well, you're not a believer, and you will not receive the blessings of the kingdom. Right, and so, so that's the point is that those who receive Christ will be received. Those who reject Christ will be rejected on the day of judgment. And then there's this idea of measuring because there's different degrees of reception, right? It says if you receive Christ, what's going to happen? If you receive Christ, not only will Christ receive you, but you will receive more. What do you, what will you receive? One, you'll receive the blessings in this life of the gospel, of the power of transformation of hope even in darkness because you have the Holy Spirit. You will experience spiritual blessings even when earthly blessings do not abound. Okay, You will experience a personal relationship with God being able to be on board with his mission. And then when you get to heaven, you'll experience Christ in person and eternity in the presence of God. But what happens to those who reject Christ? Well, not only will they not have eternity in heaven, but whatever they prized in this lifetime will be taken away. And and that's what it says in the following verse. Look at verse 25. For the one who has, more will be given. The one who has Christ, you'll receive some earthly blessing in your sanctification and in kingdom uh, standards, but you'll be given more in heaven. But says, for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Which means in this lifetime, if your greatest blessing is your property, when you die, it's gone, man. You know, if your greatest blessing is your vehicle or even human life, if your greatest blessing are your children, you're going to pass away one day or, or some, God forbid, something happens to them and whatever you had on, on earth, it will be taken away. It's not eternal. So whatever you prize in this life, what you think is valuable, it's going to be taken away. But if you have Christ, it cannot be taken away. 
you'll have more added to you. Right? And this not only applies to the unbeliever, but the false believer. That there are some who are following Jesus here in Mark 4, and they're not true believers. The word disciple used here is, is used in a general sense. It's simply a follower. So there were some at this point who were following Christ, really believing that he's the Messiah. But there were others who were just following Christ, wanting to see a, a healing, wanting to be fed uh, food, wanting to see a show, or they were following him just to criticize him. They were following him just to, just to, like the Pharisees. They were following him around just to write bad stuff about him or spread gossip about him or to find ways to bring him down. And so there's a lot of people following Jesus, but they're not really followers. And so for those, too, who think that maybe they have something, it will be taken away. So so you see here that that's what it means in verses 24 and 25, right? Now, this moves us to a completely separate movement in the text, but it's related. So point number one, the reception of God's kingdom is related to the last sermon that Kevin preached in Mark chapter 4, where there's different receptions based on the heart condition to the gospel. And now Jesus brings it full picture saying, it's like a lamp that's meant to go out, but not everyone's going to be able to even see it, even though it's so clear because they're going to be spiritually blind. But point number two moves us into how the kingdom of God grows. And and, and when we bring it down to the everyday level, it's how we grow as spiritual believers, individuals. So point number two this morning is the growth of God's kingdom. So point number one is the reception of God's kingdom. Point number two is the growth of God's kingdom. Now, before we read the text, there are two things that you see emphasized here in verses 26 to 29. First, God's power. Second, God's timing. Very clear. Okay, so God's kingdom, including our individual spiritual growth in God's kingdom, depends not on our human effort, though you need to have spiritual discipline. It doesn't depend on our timing, but it's God's timing and also God's power. It depends on the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26 to 29 where Jesus says says this. Look at verse 26. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now this is crazy because here you have this picture of a farmer scattering seed. And in this situation, it's not God himself that's the farmer, but it says the kingdom of God, the message of the kingdom of God, the growth of the kingdom of God is like us being the farmer going to sleep because God doesn't go to sleep, right? He's the one that brings about the growth. So in this illustration, we are like the farmers. We, so what do we do as disciple makers? We simply let our light shine and we're dropping seeds of evangelism everywhere with our lives, with our relationships, with our words, with our actions. We're dropping seeds everywhere. Then we just go to sleep. And you let the water of the word do its work. You let God do the work. And when the time is right, the Holy Spirit's going to move and growth is going to come. And that's why sometimes I can get up and speak and preach and somebody gets saved but I didn't do any of the hard work. Someone else has been evangelizing them 
for years. So you shouldn't get discouraged. Maybe you spent all this time evangelizing and witnessing to one of your parents, not a believer, or, or your sibling, or a coworker. And all of a sudden, one day, they hear something on the radio, and then, and then they come back to you and say, hey, I just want to let you know, I got on my knees, and I asked the Lord Jesus to be my God and Savior. And you're like, what? Are you crazy? I've been witnessing to you for such a long time, and you've rejected me, and now you believe? It's because the time was right. Right? So spiritual growth in God's kingdom, people coming to conversion, is not our job. That's the Spirit's work. People coming to sanctification. So when you're discipling someone and you're like, my goodness, how long have you been struggling with this? I've been investing in you and I've been discipling you and you're not growing. And all of a sudden you're growing because you went to one retreat. Welcome to the life of a pastor. You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's totally cool. I understand how the kingdom works. Us pastors can preach every single week the same thing. Love people, love people, love people. Be missional. All we got to do is bring Francis Chan in here and half of you guys are going to listen. I'm not even kidding. You're going to be like, oh, yeah. And Francis Chan can say the same thing. Right? Go, go, be missional. Go. You guys go, oh, man, it was Francis said that. We totally get it. And us pastors, we understand that. It's not up to us. Right? At the right time, God's going to bring the word in a certain unique divine appointment and he's going to bring about the growth in the people that you witness to, in the people you're trying to disciple, and, and in your own life. So if you're discouraged and frustrated with your own life, individual spiritual growth happens first by God's power and in God's timing, right? Now, now notice this emphasis. We, we see that it's on God's power because the guy goes to sleep, right? It says he sleeps and rises, and the sovereignty of God plays out. So, so that's the timing part is that you have to wait for God's timing. You just go to sleep, right? You do your part and go to sleep, and then you wake up the next day and you wait for God. Right, but second, the timing. Look at the, the the process. Notice that it doesn't just become. And I assume that is this an ear of corn? I don't know what this is. Right, I'm a corny guy, so I just want to make sure. But but first, the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Okay, someone is this corn? Is this corn, there? I, I don't know. Okay, so I, I think it's. I couldn't find it in the commentary. Right, but but I think this is corn. Okay, and so first the blade, then the ear. Then the full grain, or it could just be a grain. I don't know. So some of you farmers, uh, anybody from Fresno, if you're a farmer, just correct me if I'm wrong, okay? Uh, God's kingdom does not sprout at once. There's a process. So if you're frustrated, you're like, why am I not growing overnight? Look, first you see the blade, then the ear, then the grain. And God has a sovereign purpose for teaching us that. And you know what it is? It's so we can be disciple makers. Because if you grew overnight, right, like, like, like you're like, okay, I believe in Jesus, boom, now I'm like 100% mature, you're going to have no patience with other people. You're going to look at other people and you're going to say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You're still drinking milk. You ought to be a teacher. See, what humbles us is that we realize that we don't grow that way, right? Is that we grow over time. And sometimes there's seasons of drought. Some of you right now, it's okay. You're going through that season where you're like, you know what, I just... I'm just not spiritually growing right now. But there was a time when I was growing a lot, and there will be a time where you will grow alone, grow again. But you have to ask why the Lord lets you go through these seasons of dryness. Is it so that you can understand, one, the need for Christ, two, that vibrancy comes from going back to Christ and depending on him and seeing him carrying you through this, but not only that, but being able to shepherd other people and lead other people through those seasons of life. Now, 
Now, when the timing is right, it is right. Check this out. Look at verse 29. Okay. A warning. Okay. From this point on, we're going to go crazy. This is, this is verse 29 and on. This is exciting stuff. I mean, it may not be exciting to some of you, but those who have ears to hear, let them hear. But look at verse 29. When the grain is ripe, you just put in the sickle because the harvest has come. That's all you got to do. Because it's God who does the work. You know where this is from? This is from Joel, not Osteen, but Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Joel chapter 3, verse 13. It talks about this biblical metaphor of a sickle and harvest for God's judgment. Now, let me ask you a question. Who brings God judgment, us or God? Can you judge someone whether they're truly saved? No, God does. Can you judge someone saying, you ought to be saved today? No, that's God's timing. And God determines when someone comes to Christ and when they grow, right? And so this is talking about judgment. And there are eternal ramifications because it's talking about there will be a day when Jesus judges people. And he will judge those who truly receive him. And he will judge those who falsely received him. And then he will judge those who never received him. And that ties it back to the previous passage. What what you have, more will be added. What you don't have and you think you have, it will be taken away. Right? In the sense where, where however you judge God, he will judge you. If you judge Jesus as God, well, you'll be saved. But if you judge that Jesus is not God, like the Pharisees, then you may not be saved. Right? And and if you if you die that way, then you'll end up being judged by God eternally. Joel chapter 3. And so this is beautiful, but it leads us to point number three this morning. Point number three, so we see the growth of God's kingdom depends on God's timing, his power and his timing. But point number three is the success of God's kingdom. See, success for me and you is immediate fruit, especially in our microwave and, and immediate instant gratification culture. Right? We, we, we plug in something and we get it. We go online and we get our results right away. Right? We have instant response on text and email and social media posts. But the success of God's kingdom is very different. It takes time and you can't see it. And so you can labor and labor and labor and not see any fruit okay, until later. I, for those of you, how many of you guys have ever been involved in children's ministry? Raise your hand. Okay. God bless your soul. Um, how many of you guys have ever been involved in high school ministry? Raise your hand. God bless your soul. How many of you guys have been involved in junior high ministry? Raise your hand. That is the hardest ministry in the world. You don't see any fruit. You may see a little bit of fruit, but why? Because they're going through that growth stage where, where they're, they're leaving children, being exposed to the world now. They're not yet in high school, but they're headed there. You know, they, they, they start to go through puberty and change. They, boys start to like girls and so forth. Right, and things start to happen, and, and and how long do you have them for? Two years, maybe. Well, in our church, three years, but sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And so, if there's any fruit, the high school pastor gets to see it, or the high school counselors get to see it. Your hard work, right? And the children's, count, you know, they're they're just they they get all this. They're just handing it off to you because when you're doing children's ministry, you know that they're still growing. So in your mind, you don't get as frustrated because you're like, oh, you're just a child. Right, but, but, but we're going to hand you off to the junior high ministry. And then obviously there's the parents coming in. So if you're a parent of junior hires, it's a tough time. Junior high was a rough time for me. Okay, for some of you, it's that ninth grade season. As parents, you've got ninth graders. Wow. 
you know, so, so when did they start really taking the faith and saying, this is my faith, 11th and 12th grade, you began to see it. Now, who sees all the fruit? College pastors. You know, so many times it, it, on all my years of youth ministry, all that ministry, and I knew that 90% of the time no one's listening. Then by God's grace, right? By God's grace, you just keep watering, you keep planting, you keep throwing seed. Second year of college, I start getting thank you notes. They used to write them. Um, you know, now it's email, but I start getting people coming back and say, hey, thank you to all the youth counselors and all the p- parents and all the youth pastors. Thank you. Right? Because the fruition of the seed of the gospel does not come to full scale, you know, uh, until time passes and then usually college. And when people start to form their own worldview and beliefs, then Christianity comes to take root. And I'm not saying that, that young people don't grow, but I'm just saying you can't get frustrated. Right? So if you're in junior high ministry, God bless your soul. We need more of you. That's the Navy SEALs of FCBC Walnut, the junior high counselors um, and junior high interns. And, and that's why it took so long to find a junior high pastor. Nobody wants to do junior, junior high ministry. Right, and so so look, at, look at now where you can see this biblically, that God's kingdom will grow beyond expectations. You don't think that it will be successful because you don't see any fruit. Because you don't see the immediate response. You don't see 50 junior hires saying, I'm ready to be a pastor. I'm ready to go on missions. I love Jesus. You don't see that. Right, look at verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up, and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, if you Google mustard seed and plant, it's not as big as like a, 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 like a, a redwood tree or something. It's, it's a bush-like looking thing. Okay, So the parallel here, Jesus is not necessarily saying it's so small but it's going to become so big. I mean, that's part of it. But he's talking about the expectation of success. Is when you see this mustard seed, that's not technically the smallest seed in the world, but it is one of the smallest seeds in Palestine, at least that time in that region, the smallest seed. When you see this tiny little thing, you don't expect much. That's his point. Is that you're like, how on earth can something so little become this bush? It's the same way when you disciple and invest in people. You could be looking at someone and saying, this person's so sinful, they're so crazy, I don't know how God could use them. Hey, don't second guess the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, right? I mean, you, you or, or you're like, you know what, my, I've been sharing the gospel for decades and, and, and my parents are not going to receive, you know, do I keep going? You keep going. Because what you don't expect to happen, it can happen. Now, in Jesus' context, the kingdom of God seemed weak. It seemed small. In fact, when Jesus went to the cross, it seemed, seemed like, where's the king? Where's the kingdom? But look at the kingdom of God now. Look at the kingdom of God now. And so, so this parable is about a tiny mustard seed that explodes. And eventually, the kingdom of God encompasses people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, now, now let's get crazy here, okay? Because we, we go Ezekiel. Look at this. Look at this. I mean, you, some of you guys don't get excited about the Bible this way, but you should. You should. Okay? So, so I, I just couldn't 
get past this. I mean, this is not so. Okay, look at look at look at this. Verse 32. Large branches so the birds that the so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That's nice. Okay? But the problem is the context of this is Old Testament. There's several references, but I just want to go to Ezekiel 17, 22 and 23. Ezekiel 17, in the Old Testament, these large trees were used to illustrate kingdoms. That's why Jesus uses this parable, because he's talking about the growth and success of the kingdom of God. And, and these large trees in the Old Testament were used to illustrate kingdoms that were so powerful and so mighty that it provided stability economically and militarily military protection for the little nations around them that would support them. And so it's the kingdom, the kingdoms, the mighty kingdoms that were that would bring blessing to the nations around them. And in the same way, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God may seem small. It's like a mustard seed. You don't expect much from this little seed, but this seed is going to bring people, Gentiles, nations from every tongue, tribe, and nation, which means Israel, out of Israel would come the true Israel, Jesus, the, Israel, the true Israelite, Jesus, and through Jesus, the Israel Messiah would, would, would grow a kingdom that would provide salvation and blessing for all the peoples of the nations who would come and take shelter under the king of the kingdom. Now, has this come true? So the birds here represent the nations or the Gentiles coming to salvation in Jesus' kingdom? This, this tree obviously represents the kingdom of God and Christ being that king. Has this come true? Yes, you and I are here, right? You and I are Gentiles. We're here. The gospel has spread to the nations and we've taken shelter under the blood of the Lamb. We've trusted the Jewish Messiah as our Messiah and we have been grafted in as the unnatural branches. We've been grafted in to the Israel of God. And so, and so the Pharisees are hearing Jesus and they're, they're talking about, whoa, the kingdom of God. He must be talking about Israel. Israel's the chosen people of God. Israel's the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, yeah, it's Israel, but Israel's meant to encompass the nations. And so Jesus says, my kingdom is the church. The church includes Jews and Gentiles, Israel and the nations who believe in Jesus. And, and so, so, so don't skip over these little imageries when you see them, because sometimes when there's an Old Testament root, literally, it branches into beautiful theology of, and describes why you and I are here. Now, Back to what Jesus said about those who have ears to hear, let him hear. Look at verses 33 and 34, where Jesus talks about understanding his message requires special revelation. Okay, Look at verse 33. It says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Ah, stop right there. As they were able to, what do you mean as they were able to hear it? If you have ears and if I'm talking, you hear it. It might just be noise, but you hear it. So what do you mean? With many such parables he spoke. Wait a minute, Jesus. If your parables are confusing, why are you speaking it this way? And as they were able to hear it, and look at verse 34. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. Now, 
This should encourage you. Which means, even Jesus' disciples didn't understand him. So as he's teaching these parables and other people are listening, they're hearing it, and they're like, he's talking about a mustard seed and a bush. He's talking about a lamp and a basket. Like, I don't know. This guy's a lunatic. No wonder they thought he was crazy. Even the disciples, Jesus had to say, okay, okay, come here, come here, come here. Sit here. Sit here. You know, when I was talking, I was talking about the bush, and I was talking about the lamps, I was talking about the soils and the different heart conditions. This is what I meant. Oh. You know what? You and I can relate to that. Because when you were witnessed to, or when someone evangelized to you, you might not have understood it. When, when a non-Christian reads the Bible, it's information and facts. They might not get it. They might not, definitely, it doesn't move their heart to believe in Jesus. But there's a difference because John 14 to 16, John chapters 14 to 16, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And he says the role of the Holy Spirit is to make the teaching of Christ understandable. This is called illumination, revelation, special revelation, which means you could put a Bible into somebody's hands and they're not going to understand it unless the Holy Spirit guides them through it and they understand. And yes, there's this funny video I saw on Facebook where it talks about reading the Bible like a believer and the guy's just reading like facts. And then he opens it up as a believer. It says like Christian. And then he reads Genesis 1. It says in the beginning. And it has like Morgan Freeman's voice. Completely, I, I don't want to show it here, you know, because I don't know how solid it is. But, but at the, it's completely like that. You read the Bible, you're like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay, whatever. You, and, and literally, as a believer, you're like in the beginning. God created, and it's almost like you believe it. There's power to it. That's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And so nobody will receive the gospel unless the Holy Spirit visits them and explains it to them. Nobody will understand the gospel unless the Holy Spirit goes and converts them. Nobody can be truly sanctified and grow unless the Holy Spirit grows them. So you understand that we have our part. We need to have spiritual disciplines. We need to let our light shine. That's what Matthew 5 says. We need to be like the farmer spreading seed. You see that? There's work on our part. But then we go and sleep in the sovereignty of God. And we go to sleep like the farmer. We go and rest and we let God do its work. Then we wake up and we spread more seed. And, and when the time is right, the sickle goes in and people, the, the harvest comes forth. Right? Because it's God who brings about the growth. So you should never be discouraged when someone rejects your witness. They're rejecting Christ, not you. You should never be discouraged when you see people not growing as fast as you want them to. Because it God... God's timing and God's power brings about the growth. You should never be discouraged with your own spiritual life. You ought to be exhorted to go further, but you shouldn't be like, I'm going to give up because it depends on God's timing and God's power. So that's the big idea of this morning's message is that the reception, growth, and success of God's kingdom are guaranteed by God's sovereign purpose, power, and timing. I want to end with Two short illustrations. I know we're over time a little bit, but if you'll give me this time, I'll end with this, and then we'll, we'll close it up, okay? Daniel Aiken, the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, in one of his writings, he reminds us about two famous missionaries, one of them very dear to my heart, 
right? Two famous missionaries, William Carey and Adoniram Judson. William Carey lived 1761 to 1834. He goes down in history as the father of the missionary movement. And Aiken writes this, Carey labored in India seven years before seeing his first convert. Seven years before seeing his first convert. He shared the gospel for more than 40 years. But the fruit of his labor was minimal. Still, he could say, the future is as bright as the promise of God and expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. End quote. I mean, some of you have heard that quote before. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. He understood that the reception, growth, and success of God's kingdom is guaranteed by God's sovereign purpose, power, and timing. And even though he couldn't see fruit in his life, he labored away. And a lot of people know who William Carey is. Now, Adoniram Judson has a college named after him in Illinois. But Judson lived 1788 to 1850. And he's dear to my heart because my parents are Chinese. Uh, But my grandparents and my parents, they, they grew up in Burma. And, and they weren't Christians. But we know that Burma, or change the name now to Miramar, is a very difficult place for the gospel to go forward. But you look at this. Judson labored in Burma for seven years before seeing his first convert. Seven years, I would have given up. He would die disappointed that his labors for the gospel yielded so little fruit. Not only that, but he experienced the loss of two of his children and his wife. But he continued to labor and labor. And just like William Carey, he was faithful to the end and he could voice these words. And these are his words, quote, in spite of sorrow, loss, and pain, our course be onward still, we sow, he's talking about the seeds of the gospel, in, on Burma's barren plain, we reap on Zion's hill. In other words, he trusted that even though he would die with much calamity and not seeing much fruit, that he knew that one day there would be Burmese Christians in heaven on Zion's hill. These men, as well as many others, have been inspired to press on by a little lamp, a bunch of seeds, and one small mustard seed. Both Carrie and Judson saw very little fruits, but they clung on to the sovereignty of God, and they clung on to the assurance that God would grow his kingdom in his timing and by his power. So what about you? How are you aligned with Jesus' kingdom mission this morning? How is the light of Christ shining forth in your life? How are you spreading the message of Christ like the farmer, scattering the seeds? Don't be discouraged. Turn to Christ. Allow him to be your Lord and he will use you and he will do powerful things through you even if you don't live to see the fruit. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful for the kingdom of God, the reception of the kingdom, the growth of God's kingdom and the success of God's kingdom depends not on us, though you tell us to labor, but the harvest depends on you, Father. It depends on your work, your sovereign work, revealing the gospel and explaining it through the Spirit to the people in this world. 
Lord, will you use our church as a vibrant church? Will you use our building project as a place to open up the doors for more people to come in, hear the gospel, and be disciples? And Lord, be with us now as we go out the four walls this week and as we seek to live for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.